the latest episode of the Varying Viewpoints podcast series, sponsored by the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice at Rutgers University. Today's episode is called College Students, 31 Years After the ADA. I'm your host, Hunter Hornsby, and I am a research intern at the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice and the Graduate Assistant for Outreach, Assessment, and Retention for the Office of Disability Services at Texas State University. I am here with our invited guest, Mr. Gavin Steiger, the Director of the Office of Disability Services at Texas State University. Mr. Steiger, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Um, Again, my name is Gavin Steiger. I've been the director of the Office of Disability Services at Texas State University for about two years now. However, I have spent about 20 years in various aspects of higher education focused on disability services and providing assistance and accessibility for both students and employees with disabilities. I've worked at uh, large research one public institutions, private small schools, and also um, middle-sized public universities as well. Um, Not only do I serve in this capacity as director, but I also became involved in this line of work because I myself have a disability. I have a history of seizures. I never knew that I was ever eligible for any type of accommodation in the years that I went to high school. Um, But once I reached college, it was one of the disability service providers, or actually the director at the uh, my undergraduate's office of disability services that informed me that because I have a history of seizures that I would be eligible for accommodations. And uh, ever since uh, I've been able to interact with them, um, they have really kind of showed me the, the light of how I then might be able to reciprocate and uh, prefer th- or further that a commitment to ensure that students with disabilities have equal access to their educational endeavors. So to make the most of today's discussion, let's get started. So, Mr. Steiger, what prompted your interest in disability services? As I stated, uh, I have a history of seizures. Uh, My father was in the Army for about 30 years, and during that course, I went to three different high schools in a four-year period. And every high school that I attended and never approached me or uh, my family and, and it shared with us that I may be eligible for accommodations because I was having seizures uh, current or during that time that I was going through high school and also through college. Uh, again, it wasn't until I got to college that uh, someone had shared with me that I could possibly qualify for services and receive accommodations. When I was at my undergraduate institution, I worked closely with some of the graduate students that were in their office. And I learned that a number of those graduate students were in student affairs or higher education programs that were basically preparing them for being uh, staff members at a college or university. It was then that I tried to pursue that as an option. And I was fortunate enough to get into a higher ed program. And uh, when I was at my graduate institution, I had a graduate assistantship inside the disability services office. I also had an internship working in housing uh, housing assignments. 
and I also had a practicum working in their learning disability center. Uh, I felt like this was really the calling for me. And uh, ever since then, I have been engaged in disability services uh, and promoting accessibility for individuals with disabilities at colleges and universities. In your experience, I'm sure you've noticed that uh, individuals with disabilities are attending college campuses at a higher rate than ever. In your opinion, what do you think is essential to the success of students with disabilities? And what is the largest barrier facing students with disabilities today? I think one of the things, uh, or there's a couple of different things I believe that will be essential for a student with a disability to be successful. The accommodations that colleges and universities are able to provide are not intended to ensure success. They are intended to ensure, ensure access uh, they are meant to provide equal access, equal opportunity, and equal participation for all of the individuals, especially the students with disabilities. Uh, that being said, I think that students can still take the initiative to do certain things so that they will be successful. Uh, so this is where I might take off my disability services hat and put on more of my student affairs hat. And I would say that some of the things that I believe students should do, and this is regardless of disability status, to be successful at a college university, should be one, uh, be active on campus. Uh, studies have shown that students who are engaged on campus and have that connection with the university or college are more likely to be uh, persist at the university, more likely to be retained, and more likely to actually graduate. And so that would be one of my soapboxes is to have the students become active in something on campus. Uh, when I was at my undergraduate institution, I was part of the marching band and I uh, loved every minute of it. It was a great way for me to meet people. It was a great way for me to uh, figure out what else was happening on campus. And it was also a free ticket to get into the football games. Um, not to say that the students have to be maybe the president of every single student organization that is available to them on campus, but if they are able to make that connection with their peers and with their uh, cohort members, uh, their class members, then I think that that will certainly benefit them well in the long run. In addition to that, another thing I would say is necessary for students to be successful is for them to take advantage of the resources that are available to them. Uh, you know, a lot of the student fees and the tuition expenses that the students have paid will cover a lot of the uh, programs and services that are the university is able to provide to the students then in return. Uh, so this could be offices such as counseling services. We're seeing a lot of students nowadays that have diagnosed mental health conditions. Uh, a lot of these students may not even realize that they have a mental health condition until they reach college. Uh, because that is when some of the mental health conditions are actually manifesting themselves. Um, but this is something that is, is a, we're dealing with as a society. I think that this has been even more apparent going through the COVID pandemic, where students have felt isolated, students have felt stressed. Um, in addition to that, uh, you know, a number of universities and colleges may have student health centers, so students should take advantage of that. So not only can they address their mental health needs, but also their physical health needs, because I feel like if students are not caring for themselves, then it's going to be hard for them to successfully focus on their academics. In addition to that, uh, other resources that universities might have might be things such as a writing center or a math center 
or tutoring services. Uh, I also think that the professors are a great resource that are sometimes underutilized by students. Uh, they are the ones who are the experts in their classes and the, what is the content of that course. So I feel like the students should take advantage of the professor's office hours if they have questions about the course content or course lecture material. Uh, this is not limited to just academic services or mental and physical health services. I'd say, you know, just in general, students should take advantage of the resources that are available to them. And, and for students with disabilities, that also means taking advantage of the Office of Disability Services. Um, my personal philosophy is that I would rather have a student be registered with the office and not need the services than need the services and not be registered. Uh, just because a student is registered with an office does not necessarily mean that they have to use the accommodations, but it will be very difficult for them to get halfway through the semester and then realize that the services could have really benefited them uh, because the accommodations are not retroactive. We cannot go backwards in time and provide the accommodations after the fact. So again, I think it's really important for students to be aware of the resources that are, that are available to them on campuses, take advantage of them early and often, and to be engaged on campus. Okay. Uh, what do you think is the largest barrier facing students with disabilities? I think some of the barriers that face students are not fully understanding what the law is. Uh, we have a lot of students that I've seen over the years of my years of being in this field where uh, students have understood that they have a disability and they understand maybe what accommodations they may need for them to participate equally, but they've never really done a, an in-depth look at what the law actually says. And I think that will be helpful for any student that has a disability so that they understand how K through 12 can differ from higher education and even how employment might differ from higher education because there are certain academic accommodations that we can provide at the college level that may not translate well to a work environment. Um, in addition to that, I feel like another barrier is for uh, colleges and universities to think more about how to include accessibility in the discussions of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, there are a lot of people with disabilities. Uh, disability is the second largest underrepresented population in the United States, and the reason for that is because disability is non-discriminatory. It does not matter who you are or what your background is. It can affect anyone at any time. Um, chances are that if a person doesn't currently have a disability, they will probably acquire one with time. Uh, just that's just the nature of how uh, society is. Uh, as we age, it's more likely that we will uh, acquire some type of condition that could rise to the level of a disability. Um, and a disability, as defined by the Americans with Disabilities Act, is any physical and or mental impairment that substantially limits a major life activity. Uh, this could be anything from uh, mental health conditions, physical conditions, learning disabilities, ADHD, chronic medical conditions, neurological conditions, uh, autism spectrum disorder, speech impairments, uh, deaf and hard of hearing, blind and low vision. So there are a lot of different conditions that could qualify as a disability. Um, I think the part of the, the, the barriers is trying to make sure that other people in society know what some of these maybe unintended barriers might be. 
we can promote more universal design principles, I think that would certainly be a good way to go about it. Uh, universal design is basically a theory that says if you create the environment in a way where the accessibility features are embedded into the creation of the environment, then you won't have to provide individual accommodation later on to ensure that the student with a disability has access. Examples of this might include uh, in a physical environment, making sure that there are ramps as opposed to just stairs or making sure that the doors have automatic door openers, um, making sure that if there are water fountains, that there are water fountains at different heights so that an individual who is using a wheelchair might be able to use it just the same way that a person who's not using a wheelchair might also be able to use that. But not only will it benefit individuals with disabilities, it will benefit everybody because we might have a child on campus and maybe they can't reach the adult water fountain, but they might be able to reach this the lower water fountain that the wheelchair user might also be able to use. Uh, not only do we have to think about it from a physical perspective, but we also have to think about the virtual environment as well. And how can we instill some of these same types of principles into the virtual environment so that electronic text can be readable by screen readers for individuals who are blind? Uh, making sure that we have captions for videos because we might have individuals uh, who are deaf or hard of hearing. But if we do this effectively, then not only does it benefit the individuals who have disabilities, it should benefit everybody. Because if we put captions on the videos, then yes, it will benefit the people who are deaf or hard of hearing, but it could also benefit individuals whose native language is not English. It could benefit individuals who are more of a visual learner than an auditory learner. Uh, so I think that is also one of the barriers that we as a society are facing is that some of the, the facets that we see in the environment are not created in a way where universal design principles are naturally embedded into it. Thank you. When talking about society, uh, there, you know, there are stigmas attached to disability, and I know it is one of your office's main tenets to educate uh, and raise disability awareness. So my next question is, how do you see disability represented in the media? How might this affect your profession? I think that uh, over the years, disability has been portrayed primarily in one of two ways, from at least my own personal perspective on this. As one, I see maybe a negative connotation with disability. Uh, I'll take, uh, for example, some uh, movies, not only recent, but also a little bit older. If you look at James Bond movies, typically a lot of the villains in the James Bond movies have some type of anatomical loss or cosmetic disfiguration that could be seen as a disability. Uh, even some of the newer movies like uh, The Kingsman and the original and the first movie, um, Samuel L. Jackson's character had a lisp and the, uh, the other staff or the other person that was his assistant had prostheses uh, on her legs, uh, but and both of them were cast as kind of the villain. Um, I also think about like the Da Vinci Code and uh, Lee Teabing is the antagonist in that movie and he uses crutches because of his cerebral palsy. So it does give the negative connotation that disability is somehow negative and wrong. On the flip side, there have been some other shows that have come out where uh, I see this especially with individuals on the autism spectrum, 
that they have been kind of seen as this savant level type of intelligence and therefore they're able to solve all these miraculous problems. Uh, one of those shows is The Good Doctor and I think that uh, initially its intent was good but not everybody who has autism might have a 180 IQ. Um, I think that for most of the individuals with disabilities, they want to be seen as equal. They want equal treatment, equal protection under the law. Uh, a lot of people that have disabilities do not want to be seen necessarily as an inspiration, nor do they want to be victimized or villainized. Uh, so I think that's kind of my personal perspective on how the media portrays some of the disability categories. Media uh, can create misconceptions and myths around certain ideas. Can you think of any myths around disability that enforce ableist worldviews? I think some myths that uh, some people may have is that because a person has a disability that they may not be able to do a variety of things. Uh, I am a big uh, proponent of the Council for the Advancement of Standards, or CAS. And inside CAS, they have a number of learning and development outcomes and domains. One of those is realistic self-appraisal. And I think that that is important, especially when looking at disability, is to encourage people with disabilities to be able to do what they think they can, but for them also to have that realistic self-appraisal. As a person with, who was having seizures during high school and college, I knew it was not going to be probably very feasible for me to be a jet fighter pilot operating a piece of equipment that might be millions of dollars um, in terms of expense. Now, that would probably not be safe for the, the military, probably would not be safe for me. Um, but on the flip side, I think that there is a lot of stigma attached to disability that society may feel that because a person has a disability that they can't do anything. Uh, I think that it was perpetuated in, in the early 1990s when the law initially came out to the ADA that well, the courts had a very narrow interpretation on what the, the legislature had created for the ADA. Uh, and, and basically, the courts would look at this so narrowly that it was either you were so disabled that you couldn't provide anything positive to contribute to society, or you were not disabled enough to be protected from the laws and the intent of the law. Um, I think that it really needs to be somewhere in between uh, that uh, people with disabilities do need to have an equal opportunity to participate. And this goes back to the universal design principles that if we are able to create uh, environments where we are removing some of the systemic barriers, then we're going to be able to really illustrate what individuals with disabilities can do. I think that people with disabilities still have to be mindful of what those limits are, but I think that is true of any individual. We have to be familiar with what our strengths are, what our limitations are, and work within those parameters. I think that's a great point. Uh, with your years of experience, I do want to ask for your advice. Um, what recommendations do you have for new professionals, both in and outside of disability services, who want to advocate for individuals with disabilities? 
I would say the first thing I would recommend is to look at the person as a person. The disability is a factor or a facet of their identity, but it should not define who that individual is. I know that there is a lot of talk in the, the recent decades about the importance of intersectionality of identities. Uh, I want to echo that, uh, where it is certainly important to keep in mind how an individual's disability may impact them. The disability itself should not define who they are. Um, I have a disability. I recognize that as part of who I am, but I am also a father. I'm also a son. I'm also a husband. Um, I think that we have to keep in mind that there are going to be multiple aspects of an individual's identity and keep that in mind when interacting with the individual. I think this is especially true if the individual also has other underrepresented aspects of their identity. So if they are black or Latino, if they are gay or lesbian, if they are undocumented or first gen, then as a disability service professional, we need to keep in mind not only the issues that they are facing as a person with a disability, but also keep in mind some of the other issues that they may be facing as a result of some of the other aspects of their identity. Uh, again, then this goes back to just thinking of the person as a whole uh, and keeping in mind that all of these different facets of their identity uh, play a part of what their ultimate identity is. All right. Time to look to the future a little bit. Uh, how do you see the work of disability services expanding in the near future? Are there any trends that you find exciting? So one trend that I have seen over the course of probably the last decade or so is the increase of number of students on the autism spectrum at colleges and universities. And I think this is due to two reasons. One, I think that it has taken us a little bit of time as a society to effectively identify what autism is. So 20, 30 years ago, a teacher or a parent might just say, well, this student or my child is acting differently. They're acting awkward, and I'm not sure why. Now we have a better idea as a society that this might be as a result of the individual being on the autism spectrum. Uh, not only that, but we also are recognizing that a lot of students on the autism spectrum can be very successful at colleges and universities. So we're seeing more and more students on the spectrum that are entering into college. Uh, they um, will typically gravitate towards some of the more science, technology, engineering, and math-related fields because they do very well with that type of concrete uh, structure, a very organized fashion. Uh, so I'd say that is one area that we're seeing. Mental health is another one of those trends that we're seeing a lot of uh, uh, at this uh, at Texas State University and at the previous university that I worked at. Mental health conditions was the largest, if not the second largest, population of disability that we serve. Uh, so we're seeing just a lot of students that are coming to college campuses with mental health conditions. Uh, some of them are not always aware that disability services is an option. Uh, they may be familiar with counseling services, but not know that they might also receive accommodations to help them uh, be on that level playing field. Um, I'd say another trend that we're seeing as uh, within higher education would be a further promotion of universal design. 
And this is where I think it's really important that we take that type of approach. Because yes, we could create an environment where we're providing individual accommodation to students, but it would be much easier if we could just build the environment from the ground up to embed those types of uh, assistance and those different types of principles. An analogy that I could use would be if you were to bake a cookie, you would want to make sure that you had all your right ingredients in the cookie to begin with. Uh, you wouldn't add certain aspects of the cookie ingredients, uh, you know, like maybe the egg and the flour, but you didn't include the cinnamon, you didn't include the sugar. Maybe you tried to sprinkle that on after the cookie was done. Well, that's not really going to make a really good cookie. It would be better if you include all of those ingredients before you bake it, so that way when you have your final product, that the cookie is done uh, in its perfection. The same is gonna be true with the universal design principles. If you can include the universal design principles into the physical and the virtual environments in, from the start, then you won't have to worry too much about trying to provide the individual accommodation later on. And sometimes providing that individual accommodation later on is a real challenge. Thank you so much, Mr. Steiger, for your time and your wisdom and your voice. I really appreciate your perspective and your years of experience really shine through. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share before we leave today? Well, I just want to say I, I thank you for allowing me the opportunity to uh, do the podcast with you today. This is a, a great opportunity for me as well. I hope that the audience members will be able to gain something from this and apply it to their daily practices moving forward. Thank you so much again. Really appreciate it, Mr. Steiger.